you like retro video games, then you should check out the Nerd Cave Retro on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you can find podcasts. If you like the show, then you can join the Discord by going to the Nerd Cave Retro Twitter page and click the link at the top of the page. If you like the Open Micers podcast, but you think I'm too handsome, check out the Jester's Court podcast hosted by my fat twin, Mr. Mike Evelyn, found wherever podcasts are given away for free. We also want to shout out our other fine patrons, Mr. Derek Diamond, Derek Shirley, Kathy Gutierrez-Figueroa, Old Rob himself, Robbie Hennig, and I am the Rampage. Let's do it. thing it is our patreon extra episode for the month my name is jason robbins my name is jacob craig good lord i'm more yoked why are you so loud all of a sudden are you screaming into your mic what am i loud doing? am i coming in hot did you eat I'm your mic in hot, baby jesus christ i didn't do anything i didn't do this is your fault this is your end of things you're supposed to make sure i sound good you did sound good before the show and now you're like screaming into your microphone like freaking gilbert gottfried he's like hi i'm jacob craig do i sound good now yeah you sound good okay well look i'm i'm so yoked jason do you want to know how yoked i am how yoked are you i am more yoked than shakshuka which is a traditional Middle Eastern and North African breakfast, but it's one of those egg recipes that you can make any time of day. That's how yoked I am, Jason. I'm as yoked as your morning shakchuka. Nice. Because our guest today is none other than Mr. Joel Byers from the Hot Breath Network. How are you doing today, Hey, what's goody, fam? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much for coming on, man. So you start, Jacob. Go ahead, go. Don't make look, us look I, stupid. What a great go. start to a podcast. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. And then we're like dead silent. We're like, All right, who? Yeah, we usually like to start work? with just an awkward pause. Uh, Jason said that he had something to sh- say for the show beforehand, so I was like, I'll let him no. do his thing. Um, Joel, have you ever had shakshuka? What What do you think about that? I've never even heard of it, but I'm intrigued. Let's see. It, it, I'm looking at a picture of it. It looks like it has some avocado in there. It looks like some some peppers, some tomatoes, warm pita for scooping up your uh, your eggs. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Very North African, very Middle Eastern. So, it, egg uh, dish. What kind of eggs is it? Scrambled, fried? What, what kind of eggs are we looking at here? Dude, I don't know. I'm not the I'm not the egg expert. I'm not the expert, bro. Expert. <laughs> got him comedy <laughs> anyways uh for people who don't know uh what mr byers does is is he he has the hot breath podcast he has this whole hot breath network that's really based around helping comedians giving comedians comedy tips giving them you know tricks of how to succeed and get into the industry uh what what kind of made you want to start a network like that for up-and-coming comedians well it started as a podcast five years ago and has since grown into like 400 plus interviews and the online community and things like that but it all started as creating a show that i wish existed when i was an up-and-coming comedian you know i was looking for educational resources and couldn't really find any so i 
started a podcast where I interviewed comedians about how they became comedians. And it since has just evolved into a YouTube channel and so much more. But it all started with, I want to learn comedy and I, there's not much out there about it. So how can I just ask other people how they do it? Yeah, right. I, when uh, I started doing research for, for what you, when you were coming on the show here, I started listening to the podcast and uh, the Hot Breath podcast, if you've never heard it before. Uh, I started listening to it, and I was like, hey, it's like our show, but good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like our show, but educational and family-friendly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, whatever works, whatever, whatever helps comics, that's what I'm all about, my friend. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what we do here, too. Like, we, we, we kind of started our podcast to basically, like, promote open mic comedians that no one knows about. And then for some reason, like famous comedians were like, yeah, I'll do your podcast, even though everyone knows me. And it's just it, it seems like that's kind of what happens when you you spend so much skin in the game and your intentions are kind of true in the sense where you're just trying to help people out. And then mm -hmm. in turn, people will kind of want to do the same thing for you. Yeah, it turns out comedians overall like helping other comedians so it is crazy sometimes you just reach out to a well-known comic and they're like oh yeah of course i'd love to come on the show which you're like oh cool and when you start meeting more and more comics you realize most of us are nice and do enjoy helping each other but you know i mean even coming up in my scene i wasn't necessarily the cool kid i didn't get on all the cool shows or whatnot so i was never it can still be clicky and things like that but i wanted hot breath to be like an all-inclusive positive comedy community just for people to get better and not have to worry about all like that competitive and negative aspect that I had to deal with for so many years. So it's cool to see. I think that's kind of like an old school mentality in the comedy game is like every man for himself and having that scarcity mentality. And it seems like more and more there is this like growth mindset that there's an abundance to go around and we can all help each other just get better as long as you're willing to put in the work, that's the thing at the end of the day is like people can take classes and listen to every podcast in the world. But unless you're getting on stage, it's yeah, you can learn and be entertained and stuff. But on stage, I've interviewed over 400 comics and the number one advice is you've got to get on stage. Right, for sure. Mm -hmm. And the scene that you started in, did you start in kind of a, a bigger city scene or did you start in kind of like a close knit comedy community? Yeah, I started in Atlanta. So okay. um, a great scene. Atlanta has a great scene here. There's shows every single night of the week. You can get up multiple times a night here. So it's always it's I think it's even busier scene now than when I started 12 years ago. But it's always been like a, a good quality scene to really develop as a comic. So it's that's the number one thing is stage time. So it's a great place to get stage time. Do you feel right. like, especially with all the people that you've interviewed, I mean, you're closing in on what, like 400 episodes, something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you find that uh, it's easier? What, what am I trying to say? Like the older comedians, do you feel like there's a block there with older comedians to like actually like get them to pass down what they know? Or do you feel like, you know, you know younger comedians are, are e more eager to, to kind of help each other out? Or do you, you know, like that type of thing. Do you feel like there's like a between older and younger comedians? Do you feel like there's a difference? Um, 
I, I haven't really come across anyone who was like, oh, I don't want to give away too much, you know? So fortunately, like, you know, I've interviewed people 30 plus years in the game and no one has ever been like trying to withhold information or anything. And I, I think part of that maybe, maybe it's a top down of like how people like Joe Rogan and like Burt Kreischer and like they all kind of, they all have each other on their shows. They all like to uplift other comedians. You know, if a new comic has a special coming out, like a lot of times Joe Rogan will have them on the show and they'll pass that comic around to promote their specials and they'll retweet things they promote and things. So I think seeing people at that level starting to do that, mm-hmm. um, it really trickles down to the younger comics. So I, I, don't, I feel like that's an old way of doing it that isn't really as prevalent anymore. I'm, I mean, it's still out there. And I mean, and there's still grumpy like road comics and things like that but well, i i think the reason overall... I, the reason i asked that is me and jacob have definitely run against some you know some grumpier older comedians like and you asked them for advice and they're like no oh they're just kind of you know just grumpy <laughs> just like grumpy old yeah. people oh well, well I... there is yeah there is that i mean if you if you connect with some of these road dogs who have been living in econo lodges for the past 20 years you know they, they, when they get that micro tell breakfast they're going to be a little grumpy by the time the show comes yeah. around I, I think my experience with that has been more like I, i'll get a spot opening for somebody who has like you know comedy central credits or has been on rogan or something like that and so i'm excited to like get in the green room and like shoot the shit with them and, and ask them all these questions and pick their brain and then it's more like they don't want to give you the time of day and they're kind of just like, Hey, can you get out? And not, <laughs> well, that the, like, the green room is a different zone, you know, like that's on true. a podcast is one thing. Uh, well, that's usually where I do most of like the, the dissecting of who they are and their process and how they got mm-hmm. to where they are as a comedian, like in the green room, like if, even if you're in there, you know, then it's, it's, it's definitely a more of a chill vibe. You just want to be a cool hang that they'll just yeah. want to be around. You know, it's, the green room isn't necessarily always a time to just ask a bunch of questions and stuff. You just kind of want to be someone cool. They don't mind being around. I mean, I, I interviewed Ali Sadiq and he went in on like comics in the green room. And he's like, the green room is for the headliner. He was like yelling. And I was like, Oh my God, you're scaring me. And <laughs> literally I've interviewed him twice. And both times there are moments where I was like, you're, you're scaring me. And we're alone in a hotel room right now. And you could kill me. And then throw away this tape and no one would ever know. But um, yeah, so yeah, the green room is a different vibe because that's kind of like the office, you know, that's that's kind of your workplace. So there is a different energy in there versus just a casual hang in the diner or just like, you know, on a podcast or something. Well, it's such a different energy because, like you said, it's a a chill vibe. But I also come from uh, the the music side, too. Like, you know, I, I was I've been in bands. I've been playing music for. 25 years and I've been to the level of being able to be backstage and have green rooms and, you know, security and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they always, you know, make people leave the green room before you go out, but you're always in there with each other, like the band Mm -hmm. and you're kind of like feeding off each other and pumping each other up and all this stuff. But when it comes to being a comedian, like it's just you. And I'm not used to that because I've been to places (laughs) where there's been other comedians, comedians that are like, you know, way higher than I am. And there's like a, it's like a weird energy in the green room. And I'm like, this is not what I'm used to at yeah, all. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it is different. And, it, and it's a case by case. Some comics are super cool and welcoming and others are very standoffish or they sometimes comics just want to see if you're funny first, 
you know, sometimes they want to be like, do I even like this person? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> If they're not funny on stage, I don't know if I want to be talking to them that much off stage. So like every, everyone's different, you know, so it's just kind of, you just want to be calm, be cool. And uh, just kind of let them set the tempo and the tone for how like the, the green room is going to be. Yeah. There's, there's also a big difference in like before and after too. Like I, I hardly ever bother anyone in the green room before. I just like to just sit in there with them and hang out. And it's, it's usually after the show in the green room where I'm trying to, you know, get advice or whatever after they've already seen my set. Yeah. I, but literally the biggest comedian I've ever opened for, the biggest name, I literally just went in the green room, said, hi, whatever, I'm your opener. My name is blah, blah, blah. Have a, is there anything you, you want me to do? Like any material you want me to stay away from? Like any way you want to bring up, whatever. And then I sit down and like five minutes later, he just asked me to leave. Oh, <laughs> man. Like, okay. Uh, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> I'll go. <laughs> How did he say it? Was he like, um, can you leave? Or like, he, he was like, he said it. It was so weird because we were just sitting there silently for five minutes looking at our phones. And he just kind of like panicked, said, Hey, can you like give me a minute? I was like, Yeah, okay. Wow. <laughs> Who was it? It was, um, uh, it, it was Mick Foley. Mick Foley. Yeah. Oh, he's a wrestler. I know. Oh, yeah. okay. He's 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 the biggest name I've opened for, not the best comedian. That's a, yeah. That's a, that's that. Is, he's a big name for sure, though. But I mean, everyone, you got to think. I mean, the headliner, you know, that's their domain. They're coming to town. This is their for show. Sure. This is their fan base. So they really set the rules and expectations. And as a comedian, you just honor that and understand that's part of the game. Yeah, for sure. He also didn't want me on his show. I found that out later. <laughs> he didn't want you on a show or his green room. That's hilarious. No, he didn't even want me there. He he called his manager and was like, I thought I was only supposed to have a host, not an opener. Oh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that was, that. yeah, that was a good time for me. Luckily, I... Moment. You never forget those, my friend. But I, I did get the opportunity to murder it in front of like 200 people. So that was... Oh, there's the flex. Okay, I was wondering when that was coming. You know, I still killed it, though. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, you know. He he was so mad because he couldn't follow you. That's what it was. (laughs) Dude. Jacob Craig kid, I can't follow him. Well, I will say, I I definitely got more laughs than Mick Foley because he's not a comedian. But Mm. he he had his crowd eating out of the palm of his hand. Like, those people love that man. He, He could not say a wrong word at one of his shows. And he's earned that. For sure. Yeah. But um, Jason, do you have any, uh, any experiences <laughs> like that? I'm just watching. This, this should be the, the silent pause <laughs> podcast. We like to open with a pause. And then each question, we just pause just for editing's sake. I promise know, we're better than this. I don't know why. we. No, we you guys are like, doing great. Seriously, don't worry about it. I'm I mean, just kidding. We're 112 <laughs> episodes in, and we just suck. That's how it is. <laughs> nah, you're good. <sighs> Who's been your favorite interview so far? That's, no, I was just gonna let it breathe. Question. No, we should just let it breathe. We should just let it breathe. For just a let bit. it breathe. Just let it go. Let it happen. <sighs> Hot breath. <laughs> yeah. Um. Gosh. I mean, <laughs> I think the first interview. Oh my gosh. I don't know. I mean, maybe one of my favorite is Mark Norman, just because I've been able to interview him at every level of his career. Um. Right. Like beginning before he was popping, he had done a few late nights, but nothing major. And then he was starting to get a little heat. Now I've interviewed him a third time. Like 
He's been someone cool to like track their career with. I mean, Ali Sadiq's the same way, but I mean, I mean, the show at this point, I mean, it's been, I mean, you know, Cedric the Entertainer, Jeff Foxworthy, Sam Murill, um, Bo Burnham. I mean, it's at this point, I, I'm just like pinching myself sometimes getting to talk to these people. But um, I think, I think Bo Burnham may have been the one where I felt like I was onto something because that was the first one where someone's team reached out to me about having them on the show. And that really was the first time it happened. It kind of set the bar of like, oh, okay. So maybe people are listening and maybe, maybe this has more potential than me just like interviewing my friends and stuff. So um, that was probably the one that really kind of leveled up the show and was like, oh, we kind of hit a different level here and kind of set a different mindset for the potential of the show. So what that's year did you interview Bo Burnham? I interviewed him when his movie came out. Uh, he, inter- he had eighth grade. And he was in Atlanta promoting it. And his, his team, A24, like the production company that made it, reached out. And like I got to do like a screening of it and then interview him afterwards. So this was a few years ago now. Gotcha. Right. So was that the point where you realized that's like, oh, shit, this is, uh, is going to be something different from now on? Is that like, does that, because that's got to be the point where, especially like with us, you know, we got bigger name comedians come on and then from that point on it's a lot easier to get people to come on to your show yeah you yeah exactly like if you can drop a, if you can drop the right name or even get that comedian to re- to like tell that comic personally you know to like oh this show's worth doing or things like that if you can use the comedians you have on as a reference uh, a personal reference yeah it, it goes a long long way for sure yeah, it's probably the opposite with us. It's like they'll come on and be like, "Don't do." It's like all they just keep pausing and expect <laughs> you to fill the air. It's just they they pause. They talk about <laughs> eggs a lot for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I'm off yeah. tonight because this is this is not our normal podcast night. So I'm usually in like you know relax mode on Wednesday nights. Hey, but... no excuses, Baldy. <laughs> you got to stay on, fam. Yeah, man. You know, I I feel like you're me in ten years if I really got my shit together. Do you feel the same way? <laughs> you talking? Which are you talking to me or Jason? I'm talking to you. Like you look like me in ten years if I just really like tried and got in shape and got more. <laughs> That's a lot of ifs you just threw out there. Yeah, <laughs> you. Like, I look, you look like me if I changed my entire lifestyle and identity. I, <laughs> let's face it, Jacob, you're not gonna live another ten years. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just got done eating a, a gourmet burger for dinner that had like prosciutto and melted cheese on it mm. so no i'm not gonna make it another 10 years how long have you been doing comedy i've been doing comedy for we've both been doing it for five years actually because oh. i was i've been we, doing it since i was 17 we both started on the same exact night and we didn't yep. know each other Oh, that's awesome. I love that. Yep. Third, like 30 seconds apart. I, I did my first set ever. I had about 10 minutes. It went okay. Jason did about two minutes and it was absolutely horrible. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Hiroshima level event of how bad I bombed that night. Yeah, we all, we all bomb. Yeah, that's part of the fun. But yeah, we've both been doing it the same amount of time. Um, Jason definitely got a late start in comedy. How old were you and you five years ago, Jason? I uh, was wait, what? That was what 2016 when we did that. 17. 17. Yeah, that was five years ago. So I was 40. Yeah, you, he was 40, and I was 17, starting comedy at the same time. 
And yeah, then but to two be years fair, later, we became best friends. To be fair, I've always been a comedy writer, and mm, I've won true. awards before going up and actually being a comedian. So there's to that. To be fair, I've always been kind of an asshole. So <laughs> I've always had this leg up on the competition. <laughs> I have a Cannes Shorts Award winning short film, sir. So there you go. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I poop myself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's, it's never too late, though. You know, I mean, there's there's people that start in their 60s. I think there's a documentary coming out I just saw that's like people starting in their 80s. So Actually, it's, um, you did a great interview with um, that Mike Binder. It wasn't this last episode, but it was the episode Oh, I before. love Mike Binder. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, he's great. He started back doing comedy, and he's what, like 56, I think he said? 55, 56? I don't remember, but he hadn't done it in 28 years, and now yeah. he's doing it again. Yeah. I think largely because of uh, Bob Saget's passing, right? Well, I know he did that Netflix uh, movie about yeah. Bob Saget and all of that. Maybe that is what inspired him. I don't really know. I didn't ask him what inspired like him to actually take the leap back on stage. Yeah. I was too busy asking him if he could get Bill Burr to do it. I think that was all. Was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to him, like, how about Bill Burr come up? Yeah, Which I think that's something him, that... But he didn't. He hasn't. <laughs> I think I think I read that somewhere in his he has a newsletter called Stand Up World. That I'm yeah, yeah, to. that's great. And um, I think he mentioned somewhere in there that uh, being back on stage for all the Bob Saget memorial things is what kind of inspired him to get back on stage. Or I could be making that up. I'm not sure. But that that sounds right to me. That would make sense, though. Yeah, it probably creates a new appreciation for life and to make the most of it. Yeah. How old were you when you started comedy? 22 i'm 34 now and i started my senior year of college i was about to graduate so yeah. i was 22 yeah that's that sounds about right i'm 22 now so nice yeah you started at 17 you're like Chappelle. You, he's got the this kid's got the goods i wish i i think yeah but the difference between about- him and Chappelle is he doesn't have the goods ah! <laughs> yeah <laughs> But we've we've talked about this on the show before. I think no matter what age you start at, there's that syndrome of, oh, my God, if I started five years earlier, I would be yeah. so far ahead right now. Like, I literally think to myself, if I started comedy at 14, I'd be so far ahead of where I am. It clicks different for different people at different times. You know, sometimes people figure it out or pop off four years in and other times it takes them 14 or 30 and they still haven't. You know, it's uh, it happens for different people at different times, but it's all about stage time man you just gotta live on stage yeah. that's it is yeah that's that's definitely one of the biggest things to pass on to comics um what what would you say is is your most asked question from the hot hot breath universe like what are what do comics want to know most from you i mean a lot of it is a lot of it boils down to like like, how do you write a joke? Like, how do you how do you turn like an idea or life experience into a joke? Or it's about how to get booked on shows. And what I'm finding is, especially during the pandemic, when like life just stopped, you know, I was like, I was like a touring comedian. Like the, the year 2020 was gonna be my busiest year on the road yet. And then it stopped overnight. So then all these comics were like, what? So it started this online like Facebook group in this community, and I started doing this daily joke writing contest. I live streamed every day for over 400 days, and then I had a mental breakdown and cried and deleted that video and had to take a step back. 
over 400 days every day, dude. It like wherever I went traveling or whatever, I did it every day at 10 a.m. And now I do the live stream once a week, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. on the YouTube channel is when I do it now. But what I found is now I get asked just how to get on stage. A lot of people haven't even gotten on stage yet. They've gone to open (laughs) mic and they're thinking about it, but they don't even know either how to find the right show to do or even just like what it takes to prepare a set to then get on stage. So it's been interesting that a lot of people that like the podcast haven't even gotten on stage yet. So it's, it's kind of, it kind of runs, it kind of runs the gambit. Most people are like aspiring to maybe five years and then there's working comics and things like that as well. But the core audience is like that kind of zero to five year range. And it's mostly around how to get on stage, how to get booked or like how to write a joke really. Hmm. Well, I found that before the pandemic hit, you know, we, me and Jacob were traveling a lot together. And, um, you know, it was really easy to go pretty much everywhere and get stage time. I mean, it was easy. And then pandemic hit, everything shut down. And that's really why we started this podcast. So we we would kind of stay sharp, you know. Yeah. And even now, like, everything's opening back up. It's still kind of hard to, like, the hardest thing I find is the motivation to, like, start doing that again like just (laughs) road dogging it you know like all the time trying to find as many stages as i can get on and now i'm just like "Ah, i think i'll just stay home tonight and watch netflix you know i dude i feel you man like it i i like literally for like the first 10 years of my career like i literally like lived on stage like but like before my wife and i got married and all this like i was like this is my job this is literally what i do i'm out during the week like getting reps in developing material. And on the weekend, I'm like doing gigs and stuff. And like, I, I did, that's all I knew. And then the pandemic hit and I've gotten a little taste of like, well, maybe I don't need to go do that open mic, you know? And like, you know, I've been doing this 12 years, you know, and, and I've, and I've just kind of taken that as part of like the, just kind of like the, the swing of the game of like kind of that up and down. And like, I, I'm at the end of this month, I'm pretty much back on the road again for, pretty much the rest of um most of the rest of the year so I, i'm about to get busy again but i've appreciated that downtime and just showing gratitude and making the most of that quality family time because it's all momentum dude it's yeah. like you get on you if you just have to get out the door and then you get on stage and you're like oh, okay cool i'm glad i did that and just mm-hmm. let it snowball from there but it, it is i'm telling you as someone who preaches and knows stage time is the number one most important thing the pandemic really well i don't want to say soften me up maybe it changed my priorities a little bit that it's like maybe i don't need to go do that flogging at that coffee shop at 11 p.m on a tuesday maybe i <laughs> right. could stay home tonight and save it you know save my ego a little bit well, but I, young comics i mean you've got a it's it's all about stage time dude like you're especially right like younger, here's a, here's a word of a word of caution for people that listen to the show you know younger comedians whatever i took uh, about mid-May, I just got burnt out with just working my day job, going and doing mics, you mm-hmm. know, doing all this stuff. I just got burnt out. I was like, I need to take like a month off and just write or whatever. A month turned into two months. <laughs> and then uh, I got asked by one of the local headliners around here in this area to do a comedy competition last week or was what last week or week before Jacob um it was last week last week and uh 
I hadn't been on stage in at least two and a half months. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go up and just do my tried and true material, you know, and, and everything will be fine. I get on stage and it was like, I felt like a beginner. Like I'd never been on stage before and I just bombed so hard. And Jacob had to talk me down from the ledge the next morning. I was just like, I'm done. Never doing comedy again. This is awful. Like, what am I doing? Yeah, and I was yeah. like, we still have a podcast together. You have to pull through, buddy. It's like called open micers. It's going to be called quitters. You're yeah, gonna, you're going to right. quitters. Ex open micers. Yeah, we're yeah, not even it, good enough tough, to man. be not yeah. paid. But have you ever had that happen where you kind of take a little time off and then you come back and it's just like you just oh you just get slapped in the face with reality and you're just like I mean Ugh. the pandemic was like when I got back, dude. You the worst thing like. I did during the pandemic. I, I I swear, like the first ten years of my career, I had not. I'd taken off minimal nights. Like I was literally out on stage every single night. And if I wasn't on stage, like when I was coming up, if I wasn't booked on the weekends, I would be out at a club watching the headliner and trying to and like meeting and talking with the headliner after. Like I just lived comedy. And then like the pandemic hit, I did like one college during the pandemic that I was like, it's worth getting COVID for this, like to, to get, you know, to make this money. So literally like the first show I came back, like to when shows were coming back, I did the World Series of Comedy, did a satellite show here in Atlanta at the Punchline. I was the judge. I was one of the judges on it because I've had them on the podcast. We've collaborated. I've done seminars at their festival and stuff. So they were like, hey, come be the judge. We're in your hometown and whatnot. Dude, I was the judge, so I was one of the people scoring the comics. And at the end, they're like, okay, at the end, we're going to need you to do 15 minutes while we tally up everything. <laughs> I literally have been on stage once in two years, and I'm the judge, and it's all uh, these judgy comics. Like, well, let's see what this guy, what is he? He's, he's, he's the judge. He has his podcast. What is he about? I, like, I didn't, I don't want to say I bombed, but I sweated a lot. Like the kind where you can like feel it drop from like your nipple to yeah. your stomach, like <laughs> you feel it rolling down your back. And yeah. Like it, cause the timing's off. Like yep. there's no stage presence. Cause you just haven't been up there working that muscle. And yeah. so that was kind of like jumping back into the deep end doing that show. And it was, it probably took me probably a month or two to really kind of feel like I'm back in the swing and getting more of a rhythm on stage. Uh-huh. Cause I mean, it really is. There's a timing to it. Cause comedy is definitely, it's a dialogue. It's not a monologue. So you say something, the audience laughs, that's their part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So there's like a rhythm and timing with like you speaking, them speaking, you speaking. And there's like a symphony to it that you just have to kind of dial in through being on stage a lot. Right. But they, they they call that call and response in public speaking, I think. Oh, great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it's cool, though, to like, I think I'm hoping maybe the pandemic did help with that hustle mentality a little bit. I mean, yeah, dude, like those early days, I would work all day and then be at shows all night and then be back up at six working again to do shows all night. And like, I think it was I can't remember how long he took a break, but I remember we had Giannis Pappas on the show and he talked about he quit comedy for, I don't remember how long it was. Maybe it was like six months or something. He just needed a break. And I think that's okay. You know, if, if you need that mental break, if your mental health is like compromised yeah. because you're doing this, you know, but it's also important to have good friends like you guys have, you know, and make friends in your scene that are there to support you that are like, 
we'll just come out and hang out. You know, you don't have to get on stage, but you yeah. know, let, let's hang out. You know, you'll feel better once you do kind of having those supporting friends in the game Yo, to yeah. kind of help you when you're down. But it, yeah, dude, it's, it's a grind. Any way you look at it, any yeah. stage of your career, it's always a grind. I'm definitely that friend will, that'll make fun of you if you don't get on stage. I think everyone needs that friend. It's like, <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, dude. I mean, until the pandemic, I was like, what do you mean you're not doing a show? Like, what do you mean you're not? Wait, what are you only doing one show tonight? What do you mean? Like, I was, right. I was definitely, I was definitely that, that dude for sure. But I mean, it's stage time. You can't. <laughs> yeah. And I think you said something important earlier too. It's like stage time is very important for when you're young, but when you get a little more, into your comedy career it's important to focus on quality stage time where you don't have to do what you know is an open mic that no one goes to in town but comics because that's not going to help you at all yeah yeah i mean and i would say seven to eight years until you start thinking in that way i mean it's literally just like you just got to be on stage a bunch dude and it yeah there is i do get asked that a lot like what shows are worth what and whatnot but like i mean i did I would do shows. There was this Monday night show where it was literally like 11 PM. It started, it was in a bar called hole in the wall. And a lot of the times it would be only comics. And those are the shows that you're like, Oh, I'm not getting much feedback on my jokes. Those are the shows to like get weird. Those are the shows to like try stuff. Those are the shows to really stretch yourself on stage and not be like, well, I have this set. Let me do it. I mean, I did all sorts of things. I would rub walls. I would like, crouch on the stool i'd like cry like i i I did all sorts of stuff in those weird dungeon shows where you can just no repercussions you know like and sometimes i would even those shows are good for like working on certain aspects of your act so i had like a veteran comic tell me young comics always forget to breathe on stage he's like so really focus on your breathing so a lot of times at this show I, i i set a goal i'd be like all right today I'm going to focus on breathing or today I have this act out. I want to go big on this act out. I want to completely commit to this act out and just see how it feels. And like for the breathing practice, I would audibly breathe into the microphone. Like I would say a joke and then like breathe and then go to the next joke. And yeah, I mean, it, it was weird maybe for people watching or whatever, but I was working on my timing and remembering to breathe on stage. And it was like in front of like 12 comics at, you know, midnight on a Monday. So it, it didn't matter. I was just getting better and focusing on what I could do to enhance my own comedy and not worrying about the environment as much. Right. It's like they're the guinea pigs. You're the scientist. Yeah, it, it's your time up there. So it's I think all I think especially early on all stage time. I did karaoke. I did sidewalks. I did buses like strip clubs. I mean, like all stage. <laughs> is invaluable anywhere i performed shows in front of like two people like in a huge room there were two people there and we we still like did the show like it's early on man all that stage time is important yeah i've i've definitely i've done a show at an actual comedy club where we were performing for the staff literally no no one showed up no one showed up so the kid the cooks came out of the kitchen the, the waitresses all sat down and we performed for the staff and the club owner. And he was like, man, tomorrow night's going to be great because there's going to be people here and you guys are funny. Like, I that that's I think the second weirdest thing I've that the second weirdest show I've ever been to. We got to tell you guys about B-Res Coffee Company. 
That's right. B-Res Coffee is a small business established here on the Gulf Coast that was created for gamers by game. Whatever kind of coffee you like, they got you covered. Like the out-of-this-world chocolate and caramel-flavored roast. Or the Two Hardies One Ship, which is a rum and dark chocolate-flavored roast. You can even get your very own Open Micers Roast of Coffee. So if you like us, you'll like this dark roast too. So head over to brezcoffeeco.com and use our code OMPODCAST for 10% off of your order. The weirdest show where something like that's happened is me and my friend were in New Orleans booked on a gig. And afterwards, everyone was talking about this secret open mic that people go to sometimes. That's like in like the hood of New Orleans. Oh. And we... We roll up to this building that may or may not be a business that has bars on the windows. And the, the friend that I'm with is female. And she's like, I don't feel safe right now. Like, should we go in here? And I was like, yeah, it'll probably be okay. So we go, we go in there <laughs> and it's literally just New Orleans comics talking shit about the New Orleans comics that aren't there. And me and my friend doing the worst, like most perverse material you could ever think of because Again, it's it's only the three people that work there, and it's all comics. So we're doing like just stuff that would definitely get us in trouble. Because <laughs> there's canceled now, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because there's just no repercussions, and it was a lot of fun. But it's one of those things where it's like it's not even practiced because I can never say this in front of real people. <laughs> yeah, but there's something too, especially early on, just the value of standing on stage talking in a microphone mm. in front of like a room. Like there's there's Absolutely. a lot of value to just even through that, you may have gained, you may have just dialed up your stage presence a little bit, your confidence right. on stage just a little bit. Like it's also incremental in like one percent at a time of improvement. So even doing something like that, it's like I do feel like it accumulates and does make you a little bit better on stage. And it's just kind of like over time, you'll start to feel that difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, for sure, like the worst shows I've ever done have been what has made me a better comic. Like, yeah. And a lot of comics dial it in on that kind of stuff or they'll, they'll roast the room or be like, Oh, it's all comics or whatever. But literally like if you could perform in front of two people as if it's 200, when you get in front of 200, it's easy. It's easy peasy. But that is the hardest. That's one of the hardest things to develop is like if it is a Tuesday at 6 p.m. and it's a coffee shop and you're staying in front of a window with homeless people walking by and the coffee grinders going off. Can you perform there as if it is a sold out show at a comedy club and going into that mentality? It doesn't mean that time you're going to be able to do it. But going in with that mentality, you'll over time see oh the first 30 seconds i performed like that and then i fell back and roasted the room or whatever oh and then the next time i went in like 45 seconds and then before you know it your whole five minutes set oh i performed my whole five minutes as if this were like a real like serious show and it just that's a makes a big difference when you can start to kind of treat those like lesser shows as if they are a big deal and then when you get to the big deal it's like it's like a victory lap well, even yeah. the shows where where it's just, you know, like it's an open mic and there's just comedians there. Sometimes those are my can be my some of my favorite shows that I've done, because it, especially if I can make other comedians laugh, like uh, some of my friends that have been comedians for a long time or, or if I say something so weird 
that nobody mm. gets it, but I hear Jacob cackling from like the dark <laughs> of the back of the room. I know that's yeah. completely laugh, worth yeah. it to me. <sighs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm usually laughing if the comic is bombing. That's usually, I have had comics at open mics before be like, oh, Joel's laughing. That must be bombing. That's usually, <laughs> that's yeah, usually that's- why I laugh the most. That's me too. Like we, we, we were at an open mic the other, uh, a couple months ago now, I guess, where one of the cooks came out of the kitchen and got on stage. Wow. And it, it was the worst thing I've ever witnessed in my whole life. He, he, and I had to set, follow this. <laughs> oh, yes. His whole set was literally him just saying, get out your Facebook Live, get out your TikTok. I'm the youngest, hottest thing in here. I'm going to be the next Kevin Hart. What do I want to talk about? Uh, uh, yeah. I guess that's it for me, guys. Like, he just didn't say a joke, and it was so funny. <laughs> We've all been to those shows, man. It's all part of it. I mean, we thought it yeah. was funny, but then I had to go up after that and try to <laughs> save the crowd, which luckily I did. But, God, that was hard. Because he just he sucked all the energy out of that room. He- he also threatened to hit someone with a beer bottle while he was on stage. <laughs> oh, heaven. he did that. And he worked there. That was his merch. He's like, I'm selling beer bottles after the show. <laughs> yeah. I'm selling concussions after the show. Yeah. <laughs> beer bottles slightly used. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, but, I think that was too real. Too real went up after me yeah. and was talking about him. The dude came back out of the kitchen with a beer bottle. It's just like, I will hit you in the face. I'm oh, like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comics aren't sensitive at all. Yeah. Um, I I did a uh, like a practice show one time. It was in front of my three best friends and my girlfriend, mm-hmm. and it was one of the most agonizing experiences of my life because I couldn't even get through it. I couldn't get any actual feedback from them, and they were just like tearing me apart the whole time. And I think looking back on it now, I did this before my first ever time on stage. I just ran my material. And I had maybe a good 20 minutes of material at the time that I wanted to, to go over with them. And I think that that was why my first time on stage went so well was because I had people telling me, hey, that's garbage and shouldn't be told to people. Or, yeah, that's, you know, I hate to give it to you, but that's really funny. Like, like, I hate to give it to you. Yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, your three best friends and your girlfriend, they don't want to say, wow, that's funny. That's really great. They want to say, oh, you suck. Tear it up. But I, I think doing that kind of thing, like in private, where you're kind of practicing with people that you trust or other comics or, or bouncing punchlines off of, of trusted comedian friends is, is very important once you actually can establish like a comedy community with them. Yeah, for sure. It's always good to have that sounding board to get honest feedback. But taking it with a grain, taking it with like perspective, though, of like, who, what do your friends know about being funny? Like, right. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they could not think it's funny. You know, my wife doesn't think anything I do is fun. So, you know, and I'll run stuff by her and she like rarely ever laughs. But, uh, you know, I closed my special on a joke she told me not to do just to like, you know, just to spite her, you know, so <laughs> Well, there's so also, that's, it, that's any advice too, though, because I'll have I've had comments ask me before of like, well, this comic came up to me afterwards and like, oh, maybe you shouldn't do this or you should do that or whatnot. Like any advice you ever get, look at look at where it's coming from. Like if it's coming from a comedian on open mic, 
for example, look at that comedian. What are they doing? Like, do you aspire to be like them? Are they out grinding? Do you see them out constantly on stage developing material, like taking it seriously? Or do you see them just like getting drunk and bumming cigarettes and just treating it as like their hangout spot, doing the same jokes over and over again. And then they come up to you trying to tell you how it is because they're older than you. Like, any of that advice you ever get, like, look at it from, like, the source and be it's like, me. well, I care. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you can do both. Like, you can, you can take it seriously and get drunk and bump cigarettes. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> don't get, don't get it, it twisted. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. So take it, take it, take the source, you know, take that into account when, because we are, we are sensitive. And if someone says something to us, it can, like, shake us to our core. Like, oh, maybe I should never do that joke again. Or maybe I shouldn't have blah, 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 because so-and-so said it. It's like, yeah, who, take, take the source and really, like, consider who it's coming from before you, like, really take it to heart and apply it. Yeah. Well, also, too, kid- I think one of the best things a young comedian can do, uh, especially for me, and I, I don't know if Jacob can confer with this, but when we kind of first started doing open mics like a lot you know mm-hmm. we had this place here called the wayward crack and that we would do every week and all the comedians would meet up afterwards and we would just kind of write and you know yeah. ask each other how you know how did did you like this joke what can we do better and you all just kind of sit there and make each other better you know oh, that's there's cool. something about that too for sure oh yeah that's really cool i wish i had that growing up yeah that was cool but we don't really do it anymore because the Kraken's not here yeah. and everybody hates yeah. each other now. So yeah. <laughs> well, are you guys in Florida? No, no we're, we're in Mississippi. Actually. Yeah, we're on the Gulf Coast. Oh, I thought you had posted a show in Pensacola. Uh, Jacob did, I thought. I thought you posted a flyer of a show in Pensacola. Oh, I probably did. I'm, we've, I probably traveled for that show. Oh, okay, cool. The, nice. Pensacola is only about a two-hour drive from us oh very cool pensacola is a hit or miss town for me i either murder or i get heckled off stage there's like no in between oh dude i did i did a show in tallahassee that was an oyster bar known for its hamburgers nice (laughs) it it was a door deal and then i got there turns out the door was by donation so the door deal there wasn't even a cover it was people donated whatever they had this is a college town yeah, we came out in the red on that one. Yeah, that sounds like some Florida shit, right? There. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like something that happened. There's like that. one time I went there minutes. and I so. was doing literally a biker bar that looked like it was out of uh, uh, what's that? Roadhouse. Yeah, Roadhouse. Like literally, like Roadhouse, and killed it. Like they loved me there. They want. They asked me back. Like they loved it. And then me and Jacob go over there. Uh, it wasn't in Pensacola. What was the name of that place we went to where the fight broke out <laughs> right before? Oh, that, dude, that was Panama City. Oh, yeah, oh, that was Panama Lord. City. <laughs> oh, Literally, no. a, a fight breaks out the second, like, they start the, the show. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, literally, literally what happened was the host got on the mic and was like, all right, you guys ready for some comedy? And then the audience, we hear, what the fuck did you just say? <laughs> and <laughs> then two guys just start fighting. <laughs> Hilarious. This is the kind of place that you walk in and it's like full of like pool tables and stuff. And you walk in and it, it's like, it looks like you just walked into like uh, Sons of Anarchy. And like it's almost like we walk in and you can audibly hear the record scratch as everything stops and they <laughs> yeah, just turn right. and look at you like, what are you doing here? Oh, dude. I, I mean, I came up in Atlanta and I did all the hood room. 
Like in Atlanta, I was known as White Boy Joel. Like, because <laughs> seriously, like white people didn't mess with me, dude. Like I did all the hood rooms. I got booked so many times just because I, I would get called and be like, hey, we, we need a white boy. And I heard you were the white boy. <laughs> so that's awesome. a lot of places I walked into, there was that record scratch of like, what is, yeah. is the health inspector here? What just like, <laughs> Look, <laughs> all the time, dude, I did those. Those those rooms can really get easy in a way too because you you're the one thing that's different and you can just make jokes about that. Like, I know, and I had to be careful as I as I start doing more and more of them to not lean on that as a crutch. And I always yeah. want to make sure that I didn't pander. And I always want to make sure that if I did a joke in an all black room that didn't work in an all white room or vice versa, mm. then I wouldn't do it. Like I, I, I would get rid of those because I always wanted to make it accessible to everyone. But it is like, honestly, like a lot of the times comics are like, oh, I'm scared of like hood rooms or whatnot. But it's like, and I mean, even black comics are, which is really funny. Um, but it, I, what I found is like you, you get automatic respect for showing up. Like they're going to give you a benefit of the doubt just for being there. And you yeah. can lean on the whiteness and really make fun of it if you want. But what I, what I love about and this is what i you know I've, i like had like gary owen on the show who's known as like the white urban comic or whatever but um and we talked about it and it, it comes down to like authenticity like black people just want you to keep it real like whatever you're talking about like with white people you can be silly and like clever and hide behind like a persona or whatever but like black people don't have time for that they're like are you funny or no what is what is your life about what are you doing like what are you bringing to the table here and that really helped me early on develop just more self-awareness on stage and also just more confidence. And it really helped direct my writing in a more personal way of like, okay, well, how can I, how can I tell my story up here? How can I tell my unique point of view or my unique life experiences and come off real and not just trying to just be clever and jokey, you know, which a lot of people, I'm not knocking any style, but I think that really helped me early on just be more conversational on stage. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's funny. definitely something that that comics need to learn too. Is demographics of a room are just so different. Yeah. Like, uh, but funny is, too. But funny yeah, is just funny, no matter what what room you're in. You know, I yeah. mean, as long as you're not doing, mm -hmm. you know, like you're not doing racist material, funny's funny. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's there's a comic uh, named Tom Simmons. He's one of my favorites, dude. And um, he he has a joke. He, he, he did a lot of urban rooms coming up and stuff as well. And I think he still does. But like he has a joke where he literally says the N word. And it's like yeah. it's like a clever it's like a it's like a cleverly written joke and stuff. But he gets away with it. And it, it comes down to just like at the end of the day, it's like he creates he's likable. He creates trust and rapport. He doesn't open yeah. with it. So he creates a relationship with the audience. He builds that trust and then slides this one in. And they're like, all right, we're at, we'll let that one slide, you know, and it's. Yeah. I'm well, not it's, telling also, it's all about intent. I would never tell anyone to go do that. But it's just interesting to see someone at his level who's been doing it like over 20 years now, yeah. how he at that line, they can walk that line and the, the greats can. But it's sometimes people see someone like a Bill Burr and they're like, oh, he's saying all this misogynistic stuff. I'm going to go say that and it's going to be funny. And it's like, well, no, he spent almost 30 years developing the craft of comedy to be able to pull off things like that. Kind of yeah. crawl before you walk there, kids, and just. Figure out how to make your dog funny before you take on, yeah. you know, like the global warming, political, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I think that's a big thing with comedy. Like there, there's 
it, if you want to get risque with something like that, there's intent, but there's also you have to build trust with the audience. Yes. Like they have to be able to trust yeah. you. Uh, so you can say some off color shit and not come off as like a complete, you know, douchebag, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, Cause like you said, I, it's a dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important too, to not stray away from who you are too much. Cause like if, if I, no matter what room I'm in, I'm, I'm the loud fat white guy from the country. <laughs> like that's, that's who I am. That's what you're going to fucking get. And it, it works in black rooms because they're like, okay, I've, I went to high school with this guy. And it works in white rooms because they're like, that's my uncle. Yeah. <laughs> Great self-awareness. Self-awareness is so key. And how, how you're coming off to the audience is super important. I think I learned that lesson from uh, Rory Albanese, who was the, he was the executive producer of Daily Show for like 10 years and did stand up. But once he stopped at Daily Show, he started doing a lot more stand up and touring around and stuff. So I got to open for him. And some of my jokes were missing. And he was like, well, think about how you're coming off. Like, I was trying to do these jokes and almost tell the audience how the world is. I was trying to be like political or whatever. Yeah. He's like, you look like their son. It's a Friday night. <laughs> and you look like their nephew or whatever, trying to tell them how the world is. It's like, think about how you're coming off. So instead of me coming off like almost like commanding, if I came off more like absent-minded, if I delivered the ma same material, but in a different way that didn't come off as like, oh, I know how the world is, but more like, I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out. Is this right? Like sarcasm helps. And just shifting, mm -hmm. understanding how you come off to the audience, that can really help interpret how you deliver the jokes. And how you deliver it can be the difference. It can be the same words, but you saying it in two different ways can give you two completely different results. Yeah. That's a big key for, <laughs> especially for young, young comedians, is learn the importance of words and mm -hmm. how to say things different ways, but pay attention to how you say things because you can say the most unfunny shit. And if you say it in a funny way, so, and that's what I rely on a lot. <laughs> oh, saying it in a funny way. Yeah. Like, like, like the way you use words, the way, like the words you put together, because I found like if I do a lot of stuff and I find it hits one time, but it won't hit a, a, a different time. I always have to ask like, why did it work that time? But it didn't. But then you go back and listen to it. It's like, Oh, well I said this first. And or the second time I said it didn't work is because I missed the, I missed an important part or important word. So, and also just going back and listening to yourself um, mm. helps a lot too. Yeah. It's painful, but it's necessary. And I'll, I'll even count like, uh, like reviewing a set as writing. Like I, I'm yeah. like, all right, I'm writing today. I'm listening to this five minute set or whatever. It, because you reviewing your set, it's painful, but I almost always come up with a new idea. Like when I'm reviewing my set more than if I sit down and try to force something out. If I listen to a set yeah, more times than if I just sit down and try to force out joke, listening to it, I'll think of tags or different ways to do things. And it, yeah, the reviewing your set is so powerful. And plus, you know, I, I use an app called, what's that app we use, Jacob, the Comedy it's Companion? Code. Yeah. And um, code comedy. like when my style, I don't know how your style of writing is. I, I think every comedian is different, but I'll come up with ideas and I, I don't really, I don't really write out like entire bits or anything like that. I'll have like a sentence or two or like keywords, but most of it is worked out on stage. 
and then and mm. and really trying to find out what what hits where and and sometimes you can just take different bits and put them after something else just trying to like really just build yourself up like i i just a lot of comedians like myself <laughs> that first set we we did that we talked about when me and jacob went up i thought i had a killer five minutes i was like i'm gonna go up there and this this is the best thing ever written and whoo it was not good oh. Yeah. 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 I just looked up that app. I haven't heard of that app, but um, yeah, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds interesting. Yeah. It's a really good yeah, app yeah. to to build your, uh, like you can put together set lists. You can keep track of your jokes, all that kind of stuff. In yeah. there. It's, oh, it's great for set lists because you have this whole page that that's just the tag of the joke to help you remember yeah. whatever oh, your set great. list is. But yeah, I, I write, sh- go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I write jokes completely opposite from what Jason does. Like I write exactly every single word I intend to say. I make annotations next to it of how I want to say it, like stuff like that. Where I'm just completely meticulous, and I I very if I ever improv on stage, it's usually because there's a heckler or something. Like that. Oh yeah, I w- and that's I was I was literally just about to say that with like that's how I started. I started with one liners like. Mitch Hedberg, uh, like Rodney Dangerfield. I love, I loved both of them. And uh, young comics always sound like someone when they start. Mitch Hedberg was mine. I sound like Mitch Hedberg when I started, mm-hmm. but I did one-liners for years. I mean, maybe five, the first five years, it was just like all one-liners. And then I've slowly over time just developed more conversationally. And like it, the jokes have to be there at the end of the day, you know, like you still need to have jokes behind however you're delivering these for them to really like hit and connect with the audience. But I think learning how to write a one-liner really helps develop any style of writing you want to do. I know some people are like, yeah. oh, but I'm a storyteller. I don't really tell jokes. And I was like, well, no, there's, there's a way to like write out your story as it happened and then go back in and write punchlines because people see a comic tell a 10-minute story and they're like, oh, that was magic. They're so good. It's like, well, no, they literally, every laugh is intentionally there. They didn't just stumble upon this story. I think I think Bert Kreischer said the machine story took him like six years or something to develop. Yeah. Like it's, it's insane. Like it, it takes a long time to develop material. And I did start with just set up, punch, set up, punch, set up, punch. And now that still informs my writing, but I am more conversational now to where I'll, I will now at this point have more of an idea and go up and like talk about it. But still today, just like when I started, like before the show, I have my set list and I'm like, writing my set list out and or like doodling or something to keep my mind focused on the comedy. I not, I don't really go and hang out and socialize and cut up as much before the show. Like I'm really there to like work on this, you know? Yeah. So I, I really take it seriously that seriously still. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone has their own kind of process before an open mic or show or anything. Like, yeah. like yeah, I, what I usually do is I, I, I go to the bar, I grab a beer, I look over my set list, make sure I have it memorized. And then I go and smoke and cut up with the other comics before the show to decompress. Of course. Everything. Yeah. Or some people and, use and then, that to warm up or whatever. Yeah. Right. Get different. on stage loose. That, that way you're, you're not, you know, you're not getting on stage stiff. Like you, you've already been hanging out and laughing and now you're in a good mood to go kind of do jokes. Yeah, for sure. And I feel yeah, like, yeah. like you, you talked about doing the set full of one liners. I feel like that's the hardest uh, set of comedy to do well, is just we one liners. Like that's, really hard to do come up with a full set full of just one-liners we actually talked to one-liner comedian uh eric bergstrom on the show 
and he he talked about that how like how much longer it takes him to get an hour of material mm-hmm. as opposed to everyone else because he has to write just uh, all new joke ideas that's what the uh the the right 10 club the live stream i did for over 400 days it was called the right 10 club because we met at 10 a.m and we got a new word and spent 10 minutes writing a joke using that word and it was all just the practice one-liners you know and just like quick turns and things like that and the more you do it like the better you'll get at it but at the end of the day like yeah joke writing it's like dude it's like one out of every 20 you end up keeping like it literally even even at the level of like a mark norman or something like it's literally most of what these guys create they don't keep and most of what they create off stage they're like i don't really know if this is going to work until i get on stage so it's funny that at every level we all still have some of the same struggles that we may think some people have grown out of or immune to but they don't know if it's going to be funny until they get on and the audience tells them or not and for me like don't ever throw anything away because there might be you know a joke you write that's not funny now but if you have it kind of on the back burner you can come back Mm -hmm. to it you know a couple years later and be like I, you're so much better than you were then when you wrote it that you could actually make that funny, you know, a, a year or two later. So any idea is a good idea, but you come back to it a few years later and it still doesn't work, then you can trash it. Yeah, it, that's so true. Sometimes they just need to ferment for a little while. They, or, or you need to become a better writer, performer. Yeah. Or in four years, you may have this new bit and then this old idea that never worked is now the missing piece to that puzzle. Exactly, it's crazy exactly. yep. how that happens more than you think it would. Yeah. It's like not being able to beat a video game when you're a kid and then going back <laughs> 10 years later and you can just play through the whole game. Yep. I mean, no matter what you do, it's it, writing jokes, telling jokes. It's, it's, it's like working out. It's like a muscle. Like the more you do it, the better you're going to get at it. Yep. <laughs> It's like working out. It sucks. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's a grind, dude. There's, there's no way around it. And it's not easier for one person than the other. It's easier. It's easy for us to be like, Oh, that's easy for them to get up that many times because of blah, blah, blah. But I mean, like everyone has to put in the work. Everyone, no one is immune to the work. There is no shortcut. There are like, there are certain resources and things that can help you with the learning curve of like the, the writing and things like that. But if you don't take what you've learned in these books or these classes and workshops or podcasts, if you don't take what you learned and like physically apply it onto the stage, then you're just, you're just not going to develop. And if you don't want to get on stage, that's fine. Use what you've learned to maybe write sketches and do something else that makes you happy. But if, if you want to be a comedian, you've got to be writing, but you also have to be performing. There's no yeah. way around it. Well, another, another yeah. thing that I had to learn as, as a beginning standup too, is like, I felt like I had to constantly be writing like a new five minutes every week. And Mm. if I didn't, then I was just like, I was failing at life. And I, you know, I would go, I I'm the kind of writer where I go through periods of, you know, I'll just go through a month of just like, just pouring shit out of my head. And then I'll have six months where I just, I can't do anything, but at least write something down. You know, Mm -hmm. but, and that's what I had to kind of be okay with is like, I'm going to go through these dry periods where I can't really come up with anything or anything good, but I know that that dam is going to burst at some point and then just try to get out as much as I can. in that, you know, that one little period. Yep. That's exactly how I am too. It, It comes in spurts a lot of the time. 
And it's it's not all sometimes uh, I try not to force it as much anymore. And sometimes I think it's always like new, 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 new. But it part of writing is like rewriting and reviewing mm-hmm. and just looking. Sometimes writing for me, like I, I keep the bar very low, like because I don't want to like a lot of times we can over romanticize writing that it, we have to light a candle and have our tea <laughs> or coffee and then we summon the comedy from the pages. But I mean, sometimes like I've sat down and be like, all right, I'm just going to start by writing the date. Like literally <laughs> I'm writing the date. And sometimes that's literally all I've done that day. I was like, oh, well, I look, I wrote the date. Cool. I showed up and wrote the date. But a lot of the times I'm like, all right, I'll just write the date today. And then it may lead to, well, let me, let me free write a little bit or let me just journal about the day. Mm. You know, I don't, I lower the bar and that helps me be more consistent. But that, that right 10 club, it was every day. And now I do the live stream every Wednesday, but in the Facebook group, we still do it every day where we post a new word and people write jokes and give feedback. But it all started during the pandemic just because I was like, I don't have live shows. I have no accountability. What am I going to do? And this was just like a way for me to like be held accountable to write daily. And now it, it developed into just like most of my writing now on the day to day is it's more like journaling. It's more like free writing. I don't sit down and be like, all right, how can I engineer a joke about, you know, when I went to school or whatnot, but those early days, it was one liners. And I would sit down and be like, all right, I live at home. What are all the jokes I can make about living at home? And I really like would just focus on creating as many one liners as possible. And now that we're talking about it, I need to go back and look at that notebook. I bet there's, I bet there's some stuff in there that I could repurpose now, now that we're talking about it. Yeah, I definitely do that where I'll go back through. I'll go, I I think I have like five or six old notebooks just laying around and I'll, and I'll just like maybe once every few months, just go back through all of them. (laughs) I I was just looking at my closet, like there's a whole box of notebooks in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you'll go through and you're like, why did I ever stop doing this joke? Or like, mm-hmm. oh, this kid, this is relevant again now. Something well, actually, what was it where I uh, I lost a bet or something? I, uh, was this a, a little while back where I lost a bet to one of the other comedians and I had to actually bomb on purpose? Oh, and yeah, yeah. What I was going to do was find my old notebook from that very first night that, you know, me and Jacob did comedy and I was going to go do that five minutes again. Here, you know, here five years later, but I couldn't find the notebook. And I'm like, man, that would have been perfect opportunity yeah. to just like completely and, bomb on purpose. And instead, he, you did like cheesy jokes out of a joke book, and yeah. it was better than your regular set. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> That's it funny. Like, you used to think you had to create a new five every time. Like comedy is like it's one syllable at a time. That's how you yeah. build a set. It's literally like one syllable, one joke, one tag at a time. And it's a lot of just, rewriting and refining it's not always well they heard these jokes last week i gotta do more no you have a new tag you just build it like one brick at a time and that's the tedious part of developing comedy that a lot of comics don't want to do or don't realize they need to do yeah yeah man i i did that every week for a year though every week for a year once a week i would go to the weekly open mic with a new five minutes wow yeah and and a lot of that is was completely unusable yeah but I and, and a lot of it is very not polished at the time, too. But I at, at the time, like once I had finally like figured out how to be good at comedy, I had stacked up like a good 45 minutes that I could do 
like if if someone needed me to. oh if needed be yeah 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 like like, until, a, like until, a polish. The, until the jokes start bombing and then they shrink real quick yeah. that two <laughs> right. minute bit becomes like 20 seconds and you're like all right yeah i have 45 minutes and it's 15 minutes into the set better start rubbing the walls oh man i hate to say <laughs> this but we're coming up on the end of the episode and uh we're gonna have to have a little pause here just to balance it out from the beginning of the episode <laughs> <laughs> uh but thank you so much for coming no, on i don't think i don't show. think that was long enough i don't <laughs> all right well let's one is that professional was that good yeah 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 that's all right it, that's there we go. i like the mouse down there yeah. yeah the mouse the mouse clicks were good <laughs> that was a good touch but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and uh we'll have to have you on again and uh we won't have such a rough start <laughs> at the beginning no, next this time. Is great i appreciate y'all having me for real yeah we appreciate you coming on uh where can two things where can people follow hot breath network and where can people find your special so yeah hot breath the podcast is a podcast if you're listening to the audio of this just go search hot breath on the podcast app if you're watching on youtube it's a whole youtube channel where we do three live streams a week over there. Uh, the Facebook group is where we do the daily writing contest, the Write 10 Club. And on the comedy special end, it's available on my website, joelbyerscomedy.com. I, I self-produced my own comedy special. I called it The Trophy Husband. And nice. uh, I'm selling it by donation on my website. I really, nice. I try to look at what is the trend. And then I'm always looking at like the inverse where I'm like, all right, what? instead of like riding a wave i'm always thinking of like well what's the next wave so i saw a lot of comics posting their specials on youtube and it working and i was like well why would i want to do something that works so then like i <laughs> so then i put it on i was like i bet down the road comics are just going to start selling their own special uh a la andrew schultz just did that so i'm saying Absolutely. andrew schultz stole my idea but the, my whole goal was to just make my money back and I've fortunately been able to do that over time. So I just sell it on my website by donation, but it's like 10 years of my comedy career condensed into this 45 minute set that I'm super proud of. And I hope that comics can see it and feel inspired that, oh, I maybe I, I need to start producing more of my own things. That was the whole goal for it. Awesome. That's great, man. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that we're going to start doing. Me and Jason is uh once w once we start getting some more sponsors on board and whatnot, uh, we're gonna start producing uh, comedy specials for people. And oh, put, you guys have sponsors on, our website. on here? Yeah, we have we have a couple of sponsors. We we get most of our money from Patreon. Yeah, right. Nice. Now. Oh yeah, I saw y'all did have a Patreon. That was very cool. Yeah, I need to be more proactive on our Patreon. We started one, but I need to put more out there. Yeah, yeah. we 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 have our uh, big patron every month that causes us to have to. Uh, do crazy stuff to Jacob, and uh, the first one was I had to tase him last month. We no! did the uh, last month we did the uh, the hot sauce challenge, which was uh, I'm still hurting from it. <laughs> and, and you oh, and you tase you tased me again in that one. Then too. I tased him again in that Dang. one. And uh, coming up this month, uh, I don't want to tell people what it is. They're gonna have to be patrons to go to go see it. That's awesome. Let's just and I'm say, also gonna get tased again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's just say he's gonna get bruised. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun um anyways guys this is this is actually going to be for our uh patreon special it's going to go out just like a regular episode because we don't want to keep people away from mr joel byers we want to get his stuff out there so yeah. we're going to release this like a, a regular episode but 
since this is technically for our Patreon, I'm going to run down the guests we have coming up on this podcast, which I keep close to my chest. But I'm going to let you guys know that next week we have local comedian Eddie Kane, who is very hilarious. He actually beat me in the finals of a roast battle a few months ago. Such a funny guy. And then, guys, our August calendar is I will rival this against any other podcast calendar in the month of August. We have Andrew Chavone, Brant Tobler, Jonathan Mangum, Neil Rubenstein, and Paul Rodriguez coming on all in the month of August. If that's not some comedy heavy hitters, I don't know what is, Bubba. So you guys better start <laughs> tuning it into the Open Micers podcast. Hell yeah. Like me. Congrats, guys. That's great. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the episode. Go check out what's that website again? JoelBuyersComedy.com and Hot Breath Podcast on all apps and YouTube. Fantastic. And if you would like to email us, you can email us at openmicerspodcast at gmail.com. We're at openmicers on Twitter and Instagram. And you can go to that link tree at the top of the, uh, in the bio of Instagram and Twitter. And uh, go to all our different sites, like our Patreon. And give us money every single month. And we love you guys. And we'll see you next week. That's my favorite song.